Hey super friends, my name is Neil and welcome to episode 54 of the Get Your Comic Con podcast. We're here fortnightly-ish to bring you a slice of film, TV and pop culture goodness from our studio direct to your speakers. I am joined today by my very own boy Wonder Martin. Say hello Martin. Hello Martin. How are you today? He's just shown me a headline that says, New film starring Ezra Miller and Michael Keaton to begin filming in Edinburgh. Elaborate on this breaking news. So it's not yet known which locations around the capital will be used, but crews are expected to close several major streets in the Edinburgh city centre when they arrive. How very exciting. That's one way to cut straight through my intro. Well, this is very important. So clearly, they must be thinking that Edinburgh is a good match for Gotham City, maybe? Edinburgh's a good match for everything, I think. We're supposed to be thinking about some of the Gothic architecture is probably not that far off. Tim Burton's version of sort of Batman 89, in a way. I can't see it fitting in with Gotham because it's very unique. It's not very built up. No. But when you think about Michael Keaton's Wayne Manor, some of the architecture in Edinburgh is not too far off that. Yeah. Hmm. Unless he's on holiday somewhere. He's on holiday in Scotland. Maybe he's on a wee trip. We holiday in Edinburgh. How are you today? All right. That's good. Can you tell the listeners at home what we're talking about this week? So this week we're going to start with the news. We're going to have a roundup of Stargirl, which has been renewed for Series 3, Marvel Phase 4 update, Johnny Mnemonic, and Venom 2, the trailer. That will then be quickly followed by the reviews, which are Robin, Time Before Time, and Mortal Kombat. <laughs> You know what you're talking about. And I will switch seats so I can see the board now. Okay, I really thought that you were going to say um, Johnny Mnemonic. <laughs> I can read, thank you. Well done. So yes, we're going to have a news roundup and then we've got some reviews. You're talking about a comic book, I'm talking about a comic book and we're both talking about a movie. So without further ado, you're going to scowl? I just like how you've got sort of my initials, your initials and then all... That's to tell you that all are discussing that topic. Well, it seems a bit grand, doesn't it? There's only two of us. <laughs> anyway, on to the news. So since the last time we spoke, Stargirl has been renewed for a third season by the CW. So they renewed most of the DC TV series before they premiered, apart from Superman and Lois, which was renewed after its first episode had premiered, but now with Stargirl confirmed to debut season two on August the 10th, we already have the news that it's been renewed for a third season. So it's very exciting. Yes. Excitement for Stargirl returning? I am. I'm, it's very reassuring that they've renewed series three, but we've not even seen series two. Hmm. So that's um, The Flash going into series eight, Legends of Tomorrow going into series seven. Batwoman going into Series 3, Superman and Lois going into Series 2, and uh, Stargirl going into Series 3. Very exciting times. We don't know very much about Season 2. We know some of the villains that are going to be appearing. We've seen um, a first photo of Calypso, and that's about it. There's not really been any footage released yet. It's it's all a bit secretive, but does return to the airwaves in North America on August the 10th, 2021, presumably... Amazon Prime will not be too far behind, which is where it has aired internationally. Not too long to wait for a wee bit of no. Courtney. Do we think it will cross over with The Flash this year, which was their hope for last year? Um, I don't know. Maybe pandemic-wise, probably not. No, I'm not that bored if they do, to be honest. 
No, it doesn't. I no, me neither. It doesn't feel like it's something that they have to do. I just know that it was something that they wanted to do last year, so I wondered if they would try and bring that plan back. But no, I don't think they probably would with COVID protocols. I guess they will wait till next year, maybe. I just think our production values are quite different. <laughs> One of these shows looks a little bit cheap. One of these shows looks quite cinematic. I'd like to see them cross over with maybe Titans and Doom Patrol because they're on a, a same level production value wise. Yeah, that's true. That would be that would be good. So we also got a huge Phase 4 trailer from Marvel uh, since the last time we podcasted, which covered Black Widow, which comes to cinemas on July the 9th. It also covered Shang-Chi, which comes later this year. And we got our first look at footage from The Eternals, as well as a bunch of logo treatments for some films that were already announced, other films which were not formally announced, which now have subtitles. So there was a lot to unpack from Marvel for what's going on between now and 2023. It was all part of kind of Marvel's plan to get people back to the cinema. So there's like a, a rousing speech from Stanley, unexpected, very hitchy in the feels, followed by kind of a montage of the first three phases building up to some footage of audiences on opening night at Avengers Endgame, which is very clever to kind of remind you what that feeling was like seeing that for the first time before it rattles off into the other films. So new look at Black Widow. Excitement for Black Widow. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Um, in the middle. Due in cinemas on July the 9th, 2021. Then a tiny little extra peek at Shang-Chi, which is due in cinemas on September the, I want to say, 23rd, 2021. Uh, Thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs up. Yes, I'm really looking forward to that one. Into Eternals, which releases on November the 5th, 2021. Thumbs up, thumbs down. This is the one with Angelina Jolie and Richard Madden. Um, I don't... I don't really know. I know so little about this. I don't really know anything about it. No, me neither. Um, I mean, it looks interesting from the footage we've got. I know there's some sort of celestial beings sent to help protect Earth, I think. It's It's a completely new and unknown part of the Marvel Universe to me, so interested to see what it is, but don't have a whole lot of hype for it yet just because I don't really know. Then it's Spider Man No Way Home. On December the goes to double check. Fourth. Seventeenth, twenty twenty one. December the seventeenth, twenty twenty one, Spider Man. That was close. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Oh, thumbs up. So that's four films this year. Black Widow, Shang Chi, Eternals, and Spider Man. That's a, we've got a lot of Marvel to pack into the, the kind of back half of the year. Then we go into 2022, where we will have uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness in March. March 25th, 2022. That's me trying to read at the same time. Thumbs up, thumbs down? Uh, thumbs up. Very good. We So there's no footage from this one yet, just uh, there's a slightly updated logo treatment for it. We know that they're wrapped filming now. Wanda's been there for a while, so she has got quite a major part in it. It's all very exciting. No one's allowed to see what Benedict Cumberbatch looks like, so as he does press for his upcoming movies, he's no one's allowed to see him. So uh, He was joking the other day about the fact that some poor interviewer had to who was with him on camera on zoom um had to just see the roof of his car because he wasn't allowed to show them what he looked like so other films releasing in 2022 you've got thor love and thunder on may the 6th thumbs up thumbs down um, no, after the last one i was like mm, it's all right <laughs> uh then we get the newly confirmed black panther sequel which releases on july the 8th 2022 which is called black panther wakanda forever Oh, then that'll be quite sad. I think that's going to be really sad as well. They've released a short kind of synopsis logline for it that just says it will further explore the the kind of marvellous and wonderful world of Wakanda. 
I guess it could, in a way, be a kind of portrait of how Wakanda mourns the loss of T'Challa, which in itself reflects the cast grieving for the loss of Chadwick Boseman. So it could be, it could well be very, very sad, but hopefully it will be a fitting kind of memorial to him because having just rewatched the Marvel Universe, actually, it's really sad. That's a downer. That then takes us to November the 11th, 2022, with the release of the Captain Marvel sequel, which we now know is officially called The Marvels. The S of the logo being the Miss Marvel lo- uh, font. So that's uh, Kamala Khan, who will premiere in her own series on Netflix, where she's played by uh, Iman Vellani. And that film, again, there's a short synopsis that's been released, which also says that Teona Paris will be looped in as Monica Rambo from WandaVision. Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down on that one. Um, um, yeah, I don't know a lot about those characters. Um... We just rewatched Captain Marvel recently. What are your thoughts on it now? I think that's probably only the second time you've seen it. Yeah. Third or fourth time for me. What are your thoughts on it, having watched it again? I mean, it's okay. I don't mind it. I wouldn't rush to watch it. There's just something time. about it that doesn't spark to life for me. And I don't know what it is. I don't feel that there's anything wrong with it. But it's just it, there's, it's just lacking something that makes me really gravitate towards it. Like I said, it's all right. From there, we have Ant-Man. Uh, so the third Ant-Man film, which is called Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which hit cinemas on February the 17th, 2023. And Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which releases in May 2023. With which James Gunn has uh, quite funny thoughts on the fact that the release date's out there. Someone said to him on Twitter, how does it feel being so far away? And he said, I can see it through the other angles than you can. You think it's far away. I'm thinking, shit, how the hell am I going to finish a film between now and 2023? <laughs> so, uh, sorry, Ant-Man and the Wasp, thumbs up, thumbs down? Uh, thumbs up, I think. Quantumania sounds like an interesting title. Yeah, maybe they're going to do a bit more timey-wimey, time travelly. Mm. Or is it going to tie in with the... Multiverse of Madness? Multiverse of Madness. I suppose it all depends on where things are at the end of Multiverse of Madness. And Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Thoughts on that one? Oh, after number two, I'm a bit... Mm. Mm, yeah, I'm a bit wonky on that one because I, I don't really like Guardians of the Galaxy 2. It's one of my least favourite Marvel movies. But nonetheless, a very exciting trailer, which really made me want to get back to the cinema. Yes, very inspiring and like, yeah! Well, they did just confirm today that cinemas in the UK are reopening on May the 17th, so we're one week away from being able to get back to... Hot popcorn and pick and mix. Wee. I missed a film. Uh, so at the very end of the trailer, without a date, was uh, a repeat of the logo for the Fantastic Four movie, which is going to be, I think, written and directed by John Watts, who's done the three Spider-Man films so far. Oh, okay. So after he finishes his work on No Way Home, he goes to work on Fantastic Four. Oh, well, you know, third time's a try. <laughs> exactly. So in theory, this is Fantastic Four 4, because we had the two with Jessica Alba, and then we had fan fantastic or fan four as whatever it is, you know, the one where they put the four in the logo. Um, so this is the fourth Fantastic Four film. So it w- would, in theory, be Fantastic Four Four. If it was one franchise, you'd be saying this is Fantastic Four Four. But it's not. No. Moving on. Vertigo Releasing has this week dropped a new HD remaster of the 1995 Keanu Reeves classic Johnny Mnemonic. I got a chance to watch the the 
I was saying new version, it's not really a new version, is it, uh, of the film recently. I didn't really think it was worth doing a review of it because it's been out since 1995, so I'm sure plenty of people that were going to watch it have seen it already. Uh, but it's so weird going back to slightly steampunk-ish, pre-steampunk, pre-Matrix version of what they thought the future would look like in 1995. Because the film is actually set in January 2021. So in theory, the time of that film has passed. So if you've not seen it, it stars Keanu Reeves. Dolph Lundgren is also in this film. Is he? He certainly is. He plays the street preacher. Mm. It also stars Dina Meyer, Batgirl from Birds of Prey. Or as I had to point out to you earlier, Joey's girlfriend from Friends. Uh, It also stars Ice-T as J-Bone. And Henry Rollins as Spider. The synopsis is a data courier literally carrying a data package inside his head must deliver it before he dies from the burden or is killed by the Yakuza. So I'm going to guess you hadn't seen this film before. I hadn't even heard of this film before. I've never even seen it. It's really scary because I've said to a bunch of people, have you seen the new version of Johnny Mnemonic yet? And almost everyone I've said it to has said, what's Johnny Mnemonic? Like, how does nobody know what it is? I mean, I was only like three in 1985. It's so Matrixy, but pre-Matrix, which is unbelievable. But it's funny the amount of sort of technology and stuff that's in it that is similar to or inspired, or you would now say is the inspiration of stuff that we have today. Like, I'm sure at some point they call a phone an iPhone. Yeah, It's at that really early point of the internet where lots of things have just got the word I for internet. And it's just, it's it's funny that whole what do what do we think 2021 is going to look like back in 1995 and what was it you... a good representation or well, it... at vr headsets they certainly did they also all had some sort of brain fatigue from the fact that they'd all used the internet too much and they'd all been jacked into the internet and which is where the kind of matrix comparisons come in that we're now all sort of losing our humanity and everything started to fall apart and become a bit post-apocalyptic. So it's not too far. Yeah, it's not too far off. Relatively reasonable. Funny listening to the stuff like, what kind of storage have you got in your head? So Johnny Mnemonic's got something like, I think it's about something like 20 gig in his head. Uh, but to fit that 20 gig in, he had to drop part of his childhood, which is why he's cold and emotionless in a Keanu Reeves way. It's just, it's such a classic. It's a total classic and is now available on digital platforms globally in this wonderful new HD version from Vertigo, which I highly recommend that you go and check out. If you haven't heard of this film, there's a bunch of stuff about it up on our website right now, which is www.getyourcomicon.co.uk. We've got some stills, we've got some clips from the film, as well as all the details on where you can buy it from, and there's also a really cool piece uh, comparing some of that technology to the the modern-day equivalents, so definitely go and check that out if you've got time. Last up in the news, today, this very day as we are recording, we just got our first look at September's Venom Let There Be Carnage with a brand new trailer. The film is hitting UK cinemas on September the 15th and comes to US cinemas on September the 24th. This time directed by Andy Serkis of Gollum and uh, Planet of the Apes fame, he who is the master of motion capture, once again starring Tom Hardy as Eddie Brock slash Venom, with the returning Michelle Williams as Anne Weying. We've got Woody Halson, who plays Cletus Cassidy, a.k.a. Carnage, and Naomi Harris, Stephen Graham, and Sean Delaney all join the cast for this film. What did you think of this trailer? Actually, maybe it's worth recapping quickly first before we do that. What were your thoughts on the original Venom film? 
It was okay, I think. I don't really remember it. Um, I remember it was alright. It wasn't what I was expecting it to be. Yeah, it was a bit like, oh, it was alright. I still find it weird that they've made a Venom film that has no connection to Spider-Man. Yeah. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to caveat that with, as yet, because we don't know that this film might not roundabout connect them or that it might happen in the future but in terms of the an origin film for the character of venom it's weird that his origin doesn't kind of take place in new york or have a connection to the bugle and spider-man and peter parker yeah it's a bit of a shame really i like that they tried to make the costume more interesting by putting the white veins and stuff on it but i just missed that giant white spider on the chest the classic venom look That, that to me is the classic venom look yeah so, okay, thoughts on this trailer then. What do you think? It looked a bit more comedic. It does, doesn't it? Um, I do like Woody Harrelson. Yes, that very funny him. man. Yeah, I do like him. I think he's a very good actor. Like a chameleon. He can do serious and comedy. He certainly can. Comedious, if you will. And it, well, That was it, really. Um, what about what? the action later in the trailer? Yeah, I mean, it, it was pretty action-packed the first time round, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Lots of cool effects with the gloopy bits. Gloopy bits? Not like Venom gloop. No, that sounds even worse. Like when he does that thing. His arms. Yeah, that's what I said. When bits of the costume, the symbiote, like shoot out of him. Yeah, gloop. So you've got that opening scene where the Venom symbiote is kind of making breakfast with Eddie and singing. Yeah. Slightly more goofy side to the, to the symbiote character, which I think is probably... It's not unheard of in the comics. I mean, if you read um, the the current version of Venom that's that's running at the moment, he is very vocal. He does he does talk quite a lot. Maybe not to that level of kind of goofiness, but there is there's probably more dialogue to the character than you might typically expect. But I don't know that Venom being goofy is what a general audience would expect of the character. No. No. Why not? I just don't think that that's a version... If you think back to 90s Spider-Man cartoon, he was a very serious villain. I guess in Spider-Man 3, there was a a slight level of comedy drama to it because that was the tone of that film. But I just don't think the perception of Venom is... I don't really like using the word goofy, but that I don't think people see comedy in that character. Not that level of comedy. No. I think he's thought of as a villain and portrayed as a villain and that's going to make it slightly difficult to portray a, a more comedic version. But you know what? I'm all I'm all for it. I mean, we've only seen two minutes of it. That's not really fair to judge a, a film that will run, what, 90-odd minutes from the space of one trailer. Don't judge a book by its cover, as they say. No, and it, this trailer I don't think gives away a huge amount of the story either, other than the fact that it will introduce um, Carnage. To the events. I mean, we know that Naomi Harris is playing Shriek, and we've not seen Shriek at all in that trailer. You only see a very brief glimpse of Anne in there as well. So we're, you know, we're, we've not got much of what's happening here. We've just got a first look. But what do you think about how Carnage looks? He looked pretty cool with the chaos and the red and the. He certainly menace. seemed a lot more. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? He certainly seemed a lot more imposing on screen, maybe than. Than Venom comes across in this trailer. I suppose what they're probably trying to do here is they're trying to say Carnage is going to be the villain and Venom's going to be the hero here. Not that he will be a straight up hero. It'll be that kind of 
toe the line. I'm probably going to kill a few people. My methods won't be great, but at the end of the day, I will make sure that people are safe because we need to get rid of this guy. But yeah, something about the way it's trying to balance out the fact that we're watching two villains fight it out doesn't quite feel right for me yet in what we've seen. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. CGI looks good. The, mm. Everything looks completely on par with the last film, which was, I felt, all pretty much spot on. It did. It has that kind of third act fight where everything goes a little bit CGI towards the end, but you have to build towards something. So it's kind of inevitable in a comic book movie at this point that you're going to see a third act that has a fair amount of CGI in it. I have I have no complaints. So hopefully it will it will all come together. It feels like this film's come around quite quickly now that it's it's actually almost here. When's that? September the fifteenth for us. September the twenty fourth for uh, the US. Not too long to wait. No, not at all. I mean, we should have seen Morbius by now, but oh, yeah, we won't be seeing out? that until early next year. So instead, mm-hmm. we're we're getting Venom too. The two of them should have been out in a relatively small window, but Morbius has found itself kind of shifted back a little bit. So in case we haven't said it enough, Venom Let There Be Carnage from Sony Pictures hits cinemas in the UK on September the 15th and cinemas in the US on September the 24th. If you haven't seen the trailer yet and you want to check it out, as well as the poster and stills that were released today, they're all available now over on our website. For our first review this week, it is over to you, Boy Wonder, to discuss Robin Number 1 from DC Comics, written by Joshua Williamson, with pencils by Gleb Melnikov, inks by Gleb Melnikov, and colours by Gleb Melnikov, and a cover by Gleb Melnikov. Sorry, I was reading this off Comixology. Do you want to give us a quick synopsis for this first, and then tell us your thoughts on it? Um, I'm so glad you did who wrote it, coloured it, penciled it, and all that stuff, because I'd never... I know, that's why I prepped it for you, so I knew. And I can never remember, and I can never say the names, especially that one. No offence to Gleb Melnikov. No, I'm just terrible. I, mean, <laughs> I apologise. Do you need me to rattle off the synopsis as well? Oh, is there a synopsis written down? I there can is. give you like a really rough one. I'll give you the official one. Yeah. After learning of the deadly League of Lazarus tournament, Damian Wayne has a new mission, winning the tournament and prove he is the greatest fighter in the DC Universe. But he first must find the secret island where it's all going down. This brand new solo Robin series will force Damian Wayne to find his own path away from both sides of his family. New mysteries, new supporting cast, first appearances of new characters, and lots of fights. Oh, yeah. Rated 12 plus for violence. It's very violent. All right, tell us your thoughts about it. So I think this is an interesting time for young Damian Wayne. Bless him. He's had a bit of a rough couple of years, I think. You know, he's tried to lead his version of the Titans. That went horribly wrong. He lost Alfred. He did. That was... that. Yes. It's not been easy. No, he got to sort of understand in Titans just his relationship with Alfred and how... Oh, that, really? That was sort of like the real father figure and the, the thing that held him and Bruce together, really. Do they elaborate on it quite a lot in Titans? Yeah, so you do get to see bits of flashbacks and... Uh, sort of Alfred was always the one well it was Alfred really you know giving the support picking him up when he was down just a bit sad really that he's gone oh so where does it pick up here so it picks up straight away with him in a fight with um oh, I can't remember his name Lord what's his face from the the snakes with a big snake tattoo on his chest it's um oh the the snake king king snake 
King Snake. <laughs> Okie dokie. No. So, Sir Edmund, that's the one. So yeah, so it kind of drops into a fight between him and Sir Edmund, which I really liked because if you sort of hark it back to Tim Drake's first appearance as Robin, with him standing on his own, um, Sir Edmund is his first big villain. Oh really? So it so calls I, back? I was like, oh, I quite like that. So you've got Damien on his own, fighting his first big villain, which was the same as Tim. Cause That's that cool. A, that was a whole arc from that 90s run. So I like that. Um, what was I saying? So yeah, so he, he fights King Snake, Sir Edmund, and he gets his invite into the, the Lazarus League or the Lazarus The League tomb, of Lazarus. The League of Lazarus. So is this like an offshoot of the League of Shadows slash Assassins? Well, I don't know. I think it's something different. It feels a bit Mortal Kombat, really. It's a sort of tournament to the death on a secret island. That yeah, it's a good point, actually. It's quite Mortal Kombat. Special people get chosen to come and take part in, so... I presumably that new supporting cast that they're teasing in the synopsis are the people that he'll be meeting on the island for the fighting. Yep, so it ends with quite a cliffhanger, actually. So he makes it to the island. He's very demon, a bit cocky, like, oh, let's just have a fight now. I have actually read this book as well. He's like, oh, let's have a fight now, and it doesn't end very well. But it's not a completely new cast, so we do have a couple of returning characters who you may be familiar with. We do have a Wilson, a child of Slade. It's Ravager, isn't it? It's Ravager, yep. Uh, And we've got a new one called Red Spawn, who has got the Deathstroke mask, but he's got both eyes. We haven't revealed who that is yet, so I wonder if it is another child. But we'll oh. wait and see. There is one character that looks like old Nightwing from the the old nineties. Like Disco Wing? No, not Disco. So when the if you go back to like classic Nightwing characters, there is a character called Nightwing. Oh right, okay. He's like a on the streets kid that tries to be a vigilante. I'm not sure if it's him or not, but it's his same costume and look. He's not got a name yet, so it could be him. Mm. Um, a couple other cool characters in here again that hark back to sort of Nightwing years. What's her name? So it's nice to see that they've really pulled from all those classic standalone Robin themes, really, into this new standalone Robin. Yeah, there's certainly a lot more context there that I didn't get. There's uh, one of the new characters has kind of been they're pushing the them as being quite a big deal as an introduction to the DC universe. Is it like Heart? Break or heartbeat or what, flatline. Flatline. <laughs> I knew it was something to do with the heart. So she seems to be being pushed as some kind of like major deal in terms of an introduction. Yeah, I mean she's had she has quite a big part of the storyline, really. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes next because she does make quite a a statement at the end. Yes, she does rather, doesn't she? But we won't be spoiling that here for anybody that's not had a chance to read it yet. Uh, okay, so what drew you to this book? Do I need to ask? Do you need to ask? Probably not. No. Uh, and as a aficionado of the boy wonder in all his guises, was this a satisfying read for you? I think it was. I think it was good to read... Um, What was it? There was an ep- an episode? There was a prologue in the back of... Yes, that was what um, I was going to say. I want to say Detective Comics or maybe one of the Batmans. I think it was one of the Batmans where you got to see Damien with his mum. Yes. So at the end of Titans, it's sort of him. He dis- he disappears really because of what happens. And then it's nice to sort of fill in a little bit of the gaps. Like, well, where has he gone? How does he get to where he's getting now, really? Mm. What do you think of the new costume? I like it. I really like it. If I could cosplay and sew, I'd have a go, but I can't. So. And how about the artwork in this book in general? 
Uh, I do like the artwork. I think it's very good. Very well drawn. I don't know what else to say, really. I mean, it's got nice colours. <laughs> it's visually appealing. Visually appealing, yes. My eyes did enjoy it. Okay, very good. Yeah. There was a lovely use of yellow in his cape. I don't know. Yeah, because they've kind of taken away the green, haven't they? They've made it, instead of being sort of yellow, red and green, as a kind of traditional robin colour, I suppose he was yellow, red and black. Uh, they've kind of shifted it to make it more predominantly black, haven't they? And then introduced some grey. Yeah, sort of black, grey and a tiny bit of yellow left in his cape. Mm. Okay, anything else that you wish to say about this book? No, I just I really liked it. Uh, I think... There's a couple of nice panels where it's him sitting on the dock reading some manga. Yep. I thought, oh, that's nice. It humanises him a bit. Because he is still a 14-year-old child. And a bit of a shit. Well, I mean, it's 14. So. <laughs> Would you like to tell the listeners at home where they're able to purchase Robin number 1 from DC Comics? Well, they can purchase it where all good comics are sold. In print and on digital. Yes. I would say give your eyes a treat. Thank you very much, Boy Wonder. That leads us into a film review for this episode, and we're going to be talking about Warner Brothers, recently released here in the UK and already available in the US, Mortal Kombat. First learned about this seven years ago, on a mission in Brazil to capture a wanted fugitive. When we got there, it tore through our unit in seconds. The target has superhuman abilities. MMA fighter Cole Young seeks out Earth's greatest champions in order to stand against the enemies of Outworld in a high-stakes battle for the universe. It's quite a, quite a simplified version of the plot. Mortal Kombat stars Lewis Tan, Jessica McNamee, Josh Lawson, Joe Taslim, Mechad Brooks, Matilda Kimber, Laura Bent, Tadanobu Asano, Hiroyuki Sanada, Chin Han, Ludi Lin... Max Huang and Sissy Stringer. There's actually loads more, but it's just uh, so many names that I will be here all night. So Mortal Kombat released in theatres and on HBO Max in North America a few weeks ago and just hit pay video on-demand services in the UK just last week. We have had a chance to watch it. Thank you very much, Warner Brothers. What did we think? I enjoyed it. We also just rewatched the 1995 it's a bit of a theme of 1995 movies going on right now. But we just watched the 1995 original Mortal Kombat movie as well. I have to admit, I think that this is my favourite big budget movie of this year so far. Well, you've been going around the house, A, singing the theme song, randomly shouting, Mortal Kombat! Followed by... Mortal Kombat! Followed by Finisher and Fatality. Yes. So. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I had really high hopes for this and I think we've talked about it on this podcast before when trailers and stuff have come out but I felt like uh, the director Simon McQuaid had a really good grasp on the characters of the game and it's always a worry with computer game adaptions especially of like a beat-em-up where the the storyline is probably only going to be paper thin in the game anyway that you'd be able to put a bit of context on it and make it work but my god did he make it work hmm he does a bloody good job. If I, we can say that word. We can say that word. I really hope that he gets to carry out the kind of trilogy that they've sort of planned with the writers of this film as well. Because they've sort of said that film one that we've just seen is pre-tournament. That film two would be the tournament. And then uh, film three would be post-tournament, which has Ooh. me quite excited. Because I presume what we're saying is that Earthrealm may well lose the tournament 
and be invaded, or will win and due to um, Shang Tsung being a bit of a shifty bugger, maybe he decides to try and take over Earth and the third film sees all of the heroes of the Mortal Kombat universe have to come together to try and stop the Netherrealm from taking over. You never want your Netherrealm to take over. No, you don't. Uh, okay, so I, I, don't know how to, I don't know how to even attack this film because I just loved it. Um, cast, what do you think of the cast? A strong cast. Standouts? Um, not Nightwing. Lewis Tan? Yes. As Cole Young? Yes. Was he a brand new character? He was a brand new character, yes. I've never really played the games all that much. <gasps> you will do soon, now that mm. I own both Mortal Kombat 10 and 11. I've never really been into sort of fighting games. Fight them. I know what you mean, though. Uh, well, obviously you didn't know quite what you meant, but I know what you were saying. I was a bit worried about his character because he's new, but he was the audience's way in, and I thought that worked quite well. I think he's a bloody good martial artist. It's cool to see uh, Jimmy Olsen from Supergirl step up from CWTV to a big... With these big arms. Yeah. And then your classic kind of martial arts legends as Sub-Zero and Scorpion. I thought they were both great. I do like a good martial arts film. I just take me back to my youth. Mm. Yeah, and then I thought they paired everyone off into fights well that kind of replicates the way the game works so a bit of story, then this person takes on this person kind of situation I think one of my favourites was probably Kano and um, I don't know why but I was going to say Sophie Turner which is the name of the actress that plays Sansa in um, Game of Thrones I don't remember her in this film No, exactly, what I mean to say is Kano versus Sonya Blade, I thought that was quite a good one when they go back to her trailer later on and she takes him out Oh, the man from The Pharmacist. The Pharmacist from a superstore, yeah, yeah. in a completely unrecognisable role. That was a bit weird. I'm thinking, why do I know that man? Kind of stole the show, really, Kano. Yeah. I always thought from the trailer that his Australian accent was fake and his American accent from Superstore was real, but it's not. It's the other way around. He's actually native Australian. Oh. Mm. Special effects? I think they were all pretty high budget and pretty good, really. Think about the sort of the ice and the Sub Zero fights and stuff. I thought it was all really, really cool. And that's really difficult to render. <laughs> Are we back to your token fact? Yeah, I mean, it's really difficult to render ice and get those, you know, fine icicles. <laughs> that girl's night out for you and Nicola just reaps benefits years, well, I mean, years on. I've learned so much. I think the only one for me that maybe didn't work as well was Goro, the four-armed um, kind of demon-y type character. I mean, that was still... Pretty... When you think that we then watched the 1995 version when he was a, a kind of mixed makeup and animatronic, I somehow feel like the animatronic one works slightly better. But really? obviously he gets to do more in this one because he's a CGI version and can, can get in the action a bit more. His mouth can actually move. I thought the mouth moved really well in the animatronic. Yeah. A uh... bit like the Ninja Turtles of the 90s. Yeah, I think they were better. <laughs> Um, what? So, okay, so what do you think about the story of this? Did you feel like the story worked? Some of the reviews of it have kind of picked apart the story, but have enjoyed the action more. Oh, I mean, you can't really pick apart the story. I mean, it's a video game movie. All right, so in the in the kind of pantheon of comic, I'm I'm so well trained to say comic book. In the pantheon of kind of computer game movies, then thinking like you've got three Tomb Raider movies, you've got. The old Mortal Kombat's. You've got Kylie Minogue's Street Fighter. Oh, what a classic! You've got the Mario Brothers movie. How how do you? I mean, the comic. Why do I keep saying comic book? The computer game kind of movie doesn't have a very good reputation. They tend to fall flat on their face, as it were. Sonic was a good example, actually. I felt that film did quite well when it came out 
before the pandemic. Um, but where, where do, you, do you think this was a a on the good side of computer game movies, or do you think it's one of the just generic, probably won't be remembered very well type ones? No, I think it was really good. I would put it right up there with um, Detective Pikachu. Oh, a film which this week has been discussed that will probably never receive a sequel, sadly. Oh, well, I suppose where do you go next? He's no longer That's Pikachu. True. Yeah. Well, it's good that you really enjoyed it then. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, I mean, there's pointless having to say like, oh no, I don't like this plot point. It's a video game movie. Was there anything that you weren't so keen on then in this? Is there anything that stands out to you from having watched it a couple of times that you didn't really like so much? No, I mean, I think it's just a, it's an enjoyable martial art action packed booyah film. I had to wrap my head around Cole Young's um, armor that comes out later in the film a little bit. So it's sort of tied to the scorpion um, blade that comes out of the hand and the, the the whole idea of the rope on the knife that's early in the film. The knife went by Australian there. Uh, I didn't, I don't know, it didn't quite, I don't know, something about that costume just didn't quite wholly work for me, but that's a very minor nitpick in a very big film. Yeah, I didn't really get that. I thought it was a bit weird, but then I thought well, maybe that's something from the game that I don't really understand. I don't think so, but I'm, having played quite a few of them, I'm not like, totally adept at the entire universe of Mortal Kombat, I have to say. Are we saying that it's like the scorpion husk is his power? I don't know. That's the thing. I don't I don't fully understand it even having watched it a couple of times. It gained power. It seemed to absorb power when he was hit when it came out as well as shielding him and was related to that familial relationship with Scorpion. So I'm, I'm something to do with the Scorpion bloodline, but I'm not entirely sure at this stage. Hmm. We'll find out in movie two. I really hope two. it gets a sequel because it absolutely bloody deserves one. What's that word again? Yes. <laughs> word of the night. Could have to be a PG rating on this one. I really like the score as well. It was a Benjamin Wolfish was the composer. Uh, great techno remix of the already very techno theme tune. But I thought quite a good score throughout as well. It was quite emotional when it needed to be, especially in the kind of feudal Japan flashback at the beginning and action-packed when it needed to be action-packed. I thought they recreated some of the locations in the game quite well as well. Like when there were one-on-one fights, they were in very, uh, very well-realized locations that felt like they could have come straight out of the game. I like the feudal Japan opening. That was a strong opening for me. Very reflective of last year's animated movie as well, which told the story of Scorpion. Hmm. Very, very consistent storytelling across Mortal Kombat in different mediums, I would say. Guises, as you will. (laughs) If you will. If you will, yes. Anything else that you would like to say about Warner Brothers Mortal Kombat? No, I would say just enjoy it. Don't worry about the story. If you're looking for... I mean, for there a, is a story. I mean, there is a story, but don't worry about it too much. Because yeah. it's a good film. It has a beginning, a middle and an end. Characters have development. So actually, all all the necessary foundations of a great movie are there. It's just, it's not going to be an Oscar winner because when would it ever have been? And a really bad year. Apart from for visual effects, maybe. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Or the score. Yes, or costume design. Or the costume you know design. what I mean? It's never going to win like best actor, best director. But clearly, quite a lot of other things that were just listed. <laughs> Stunt coordination. Oh, yes. <laughs> There's lots in there where it goes. Fight choreography. <laughs> kind of the same thing. Is it? Yeah. Oh. So, as we said at the top of this little segment, Warner Brothers Mortal Kombat is available to rent now on pay video on demand services in the UK and may well be available in cinemas when they open in, in a couple of, well, in, in a week's time. Uh, certainly. Uh, the Prince Charles Cinema in London is going to be showing it, so hopefully other cinemas pick it up and show it as well, because I really would like to see it on the big screen. Oh, it's me! It's me to review a comic book. Oh, That's yes. How it, yes. 
because we've done all. We've yeah, so we've done the all section. So it, it's back to me. Uh, I'm looking at you as if to say what you're doing next. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to talk to you quickly about a comic book called Time Before Time, which is published by Image Comics. Is it written by Cindy Lauper? Oh no, that's Time After Time. No, it's written by Rory McConville and Declan Shelby, with art by Chris O'Halloran and Joe Palmer, and a cover art for issue one is provided also by Declan Shelby. The synopsis for this book reads The year is 2140, and to escape a world with no future, many turn to the Syndicate, a criminal organisation who, for the right price, will smuggle you back in time to a better life. After working for the Syndicate for years, Tatsuro and Oscar decide to steal one of their boss's time machines, but soon find that the only thing you can't run from is your past. Time Before Time is a brand new ongoing series where writer-artist Declan Shalvey joins forces with Write It In Blood team Rory McConville and Joe Palmer. Looper meets Saga in this extra-sized debut issue. That was really difficult to say, write it in blood. I don't know why, but I really struggled to say that. So this is this book is not out yet. It is out tomorrow, but I had a chance to read it early from Image Comics, and it is really cool. It's, I mean, like it says, it's got a Looper element to it, which I know is not necessarily a film that you have seen. I'm holding up my iPad to show you some preview artwork mm. as we're discussing. So Looper was the Bruce Willis, Joseph Gordon-Levitt film, where they play the same character, but in different times. Uh, and so the concept of that film was that Bruce Willis goes back in time to his younger self, who is Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and it's a whole kind of murder for hire kind of situation. So the idea with Time Before Time is that these characters, Tatsuo and Oscar, work for the syndicate to try and pay off a debt that they owe them. And the way that they try and do that is by running kind of drug jobs or almost like uh, bike messenger type jobs. But instead of, you know, delivering from your local, like, pizza place, if you order from them, it's a, I'm going to take you this random thing that you can't get from 1987 and deliver it to your future grandkids in 2140 kind of situation. So they're, that was a really weird way to explain it. Uh, They're doing shady jobs and they're doing it across time. Makes sense? You with me? I think so. Shady jobs across time. A bit yeah. like Looper. Yeah, didn't explain that very well, but there we go. Well, you, there was a lot of detail. There was. So it starts out in 1987, and you follow Tatsuro as he completes a job, and then you, you see him travel back to 2140, and it starts to kind of explain what's going on. So somebody has invented these time travel boxes, Is which... the correct use of tense? He goes from 1987 back to 2041. Well, in theory, for him, he's travelling back to his present day. But that's forward. <laughs> He's travelling forward to his present day to a time that he's already been in. You're going to make me go cross-eyed. Because they just say returning. He's returning home to 2140, yes. Uh, So then they give a kind of... There's a good bit of first issue exposition where they explain that they, the, the both characters, so Tatsuo and Oscar, owe major debts to this company. They're in serious trouble with them. They've been using them to try and get by. Uh, The world of 2140 is rather bleak. It's not quite post-apocalyptic, but it's pretty bleak. There's not a lot of sort of consumerism like there is now. Things, Commodities are sparse, let's put it that way. And it's a pretty sad time to live in. So the two of them kind of hatch this plan that they're going to steal one of the time travel devices and just go and hide in a, in a past time where they can live out their days happily. Uh, but 
Unfortunately, it goes a little bit wrong, and one of them gets sent on a mission to the future where they get kidnapped. And there are some really, there's some really quite sad consequences, which I won't spoil, because obviously this book's not, well, it will be out by the time you listen to this podcast, but right now it's not out, and I don't want to spoil it because it's really interesting. But the dynamic between them is kind of ruined by what happens to Oscar when he goes on a job to the future. But it seems like this really kind of high concept sci-fi thing, which it is high concept, but it's very much, oh, in a way, I kind of want to say it's slightly Christopher Nolan-esque, oh, in God. that it's it's a, there are complex time travel aspects to it, but it's very much about strong characters. So you're not reading a purely sci-fi story for the sake of a sci-fi story. There's, there's really nice characters in it, and they're very well realized, and it's quite... The dynamic between them is interesting. I'm not quite sure if there are some romantic undertones, but it almost can be interpreted that way. And it's it's just really interesting, and it's very, very different. It's not like anything else that I've read recently, and the artwork is quite striking as well. It reminded me of some of the classic alien books that I used to read from Dark Horse, and it's quite a, a moody-looking version of the future, which, you, you know me, I love a dystopian future, and that's very much what this book is which is what drew me to it mm. and why I am talking to you about it right now. Anything else? Uh, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to spoil it. I mean, the story, so Roy McConville and Declan Shelby's story is excellent, but also don't discount from Chris Halloran and Joe Palmer's artwork because the way they define between the different time periods is is excellent. So like when you start out in the 80s, it's very, very purple kind of day glow-ish and very much what you would imagine the 80s to be like when you when you think about 80s fashion being very high color when you go to the future it's very gray and very muted and at one point they travel back to 1963 which is defined by being very uh very yellow and very uh, very earthy kind of tones it's all all the different periods that you go into are very well visually realized to be very different and make it interesting not just from a reader's perspective but from a, a viewer's perspective as well oh. and where can the listeners and readers read this or purchase it uh, you can purchase this on digital and in print where all good comics are sold from may the 12th 2021 oh buy it in print go to a shop this would be a really nice book to read in print i think uh, my preview pdf is um it's just a scroll and read, but it it feels like on the right paper stock, this will be quite a sexy book. Oh, I do uh, I do worry about our book storage capacity. We, we don't at, have a lot of book storage capacity, hence why I read digitally. We're at maximum capacity here. Yes. That about wraps things up for this episode of the Geico podcast. We'll be back in a couple of weeks when cinemas will be open again. Uh, we'll be able to, based on our own judgment, hug people and eat indoors rather than out in the cold. I mean, I like to think that I've always based hugging people on my best judgment. Me too. I would just randomly hug people. There was that time I randomly hugged Nicola. Yeah, she was a bit scared, bless her. Yeah. You were a bit overbearing. I was a little bit scared. Yeah. Anyway, um, I have not planned the next podcast yet. Falcon and the Winter Soldier has finished. We may be chatting about that. I'm binge-watching Creepshow Season 2 at the moment on Shudder. I've got a whole load of Shudder films to watch at the moment. I've got Fried Barry. I've got The Reckoning. I've got The Banishing. I've Everything with the the and the ing I have to watch from Shudder at the moment. I've also got the new Dylan O'Brien film, which is called Flashback, 
which is a it's just the guy from Teen Wolf that we just watched in Love and Monsters. He's got a new sci-fi twisty turny film out soon, which I've got to watch. Twisty turny. Yep. What well, I'm binge watching Ghost Whisperer at the oh moment. God, I wouldn't tell people that. <laughs> what are you watching? Uh, I've just finished Game of Thrones again. It has left a black hole in my life. Um, so I've gone back to Voyager because that would fill any hole in my. Oh, life. Yeah, I'm binge watching Next Generation at the moment as well. I'm just at the end of season three. About to be introduced to Locutus of Borg. Oh, very nice. We've got options. We'll between now and two weeks' time, we'll we'll make something up. Well, you will. I'll just I'll just turn up. You might read the whiteboard again and shock the world. Well, I do. I mean, I'm not loving this side of the room, but I don't mind it. <laughs> so until next time, stay safe, stay well, and uh, we will see you soon. Bye. Bye.